Hi, I'm Jane, and together with Jodes, we are two proud feminists passionate about female empowerment. This podcast is our take on the real conversations, real issues, and real challenges we must stay focused on if we're going to inspire the next generation of female leaders, managers, and entrepreneurs to pick up the baton and continue the journey to equality. But be warned, there will be rants and the odd profanity, but mainly just lots of curious conversations, uplifting stories, great guests, and food for thought on the path we still have to travel. It is clear that our young girls need us to harness our gumption and to use our voices now to make the changes we all know need to happen. It's time to be a pioneer, not a passenger. To paraphrase the famous words, of a female game changer, Hollywood's iconic Bette Davis. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Okay, welcome to Jane and Joe's On One, um, Series 3, Episode 3. And we are delighted to have our second guest on this series, uh, Kate Dobbs. And Kate is the head of Brooke and Graham, which is a DNI practice. She's also the legal director for Pinsent Masons, which is a global professional services firm. She knows an awful lot about the subject we're going to talk about, and we're delighted that she's joining us. So thank you, Kate. So we are in this series where we're talking about women and work, does it? And my first question to you, Kate, is does it? Does it work for you? Um, it does. It does now. Um, I have to say that my view of work for women is really trying to be very clear about what you want in different stages of your life. Um, I think it's becoming a bit more like that for men, but for women, it has always been the case that we have to balance, those of us with children have to balance work, family, childcare. And one thing I've really learned is that you can't have it all, all the time. Um, so for me, my career has ebbed and flowed. Um, I've always worked full time. I've always had a very big job um, by most people's standards. Um, but in terms of my own ambition, in terms of progression, I've had to take a pause. Um, I've had um, deliberate pauses. I've had pauses, unintended pauses through things like IVF and miscarriages. Um, but for me, um, I yeah, I'm, I'm currently enjoying work working hard and you know I feel like I'm really going places fantastic and you certainly are you can confirm that <laughs> so today on this episode a uh, bit of a controversial subject I imagine I imagine we're going to create lots of questions for lots of people which is good because we're all about talking to real women about the real issues and I think this is one of them so my question is has parking the gender agenda within the wider DNI program helped or hindered the cause to achieve a gender, gender parity? So I don't want you to answer that straight away. Um, it's not a yes or no question, unfortunately, is it? So uh, let's just kind of dig into that a little bit more. So my first question is, does denying women their own space and their own network silence them? Yes, I think in the short is the short answer for that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, thankfully, I've not seen it happening that much, um, but I, I, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about kind of how DNI networks, you know, employee affinity groups, etc., have changed recently. But I would definitely say that all workplaces need to find space for women and for other groups. Um, but you know, we're talking about women today 
to have a safe place to talk about their experiences, their shared experiences, their individual experiences, um, and that that is a really crucial part of, of creating a, an inclusive culture within a workplace. Yeah, and their challenges. I mean, both Joe's and I work with women and have worked with women for a long time, and I've seen a lot of this happening where women feel that even though they're a, a, a majority group, they, they feel very marginalised still. And when you take away their space um, and their kind of their freedom to speak like safely without anybody questioning them and um you know you you allow other groups to have their say but not them well then you're definitely silencing them so i've known lots of companies that have got rid of the women's network but not got rid of the lgbt network um you know so it's like well why would you do that why is it okay for the lgbt network to have a space and not women so you know you you're not treating women in the same way are you so i've seen a lot of that happen over i would say the past 5 years i've seen a lot of women's networks disappear disappear i've seen the budgets for women's networks disappear i mean we were talking about this the other day you know we are constantly looking for women to step up and be big sisters in girls out loud it's like where do you find them because there aren't these networks anymore. You know, you, you can't go to these places to talk to women. They are very, very few and far between. And so taking that away has got to have a negative effect, hasn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. I have to say I'm very glad that I haven't seen that happening. Um, we work with, obviously, a lot of businesses to help them advance their diversity and inclusion agenda. Um, you might say the fact that these businesses are choosing to work with us shows that they're probably not the kind of business yes. who is yeah. re removing their women's network. Um, but I, I haven't seen it happening. I have seen I have seen some businesses where they have really focused away from having individual network groups. So, that, but that would apply equally to an LGBT network as it would to a women's network, yeah. for example. And of course, the fact is that there are women in the LGBT network, and, you know, because obviously there's intersectionality comes into yeah. this as well. So I have seen some businesses taking more of a blended approach. So they might have an overarching diversity network yeah. and under those, there would be a number of focus areas, one of which would be gender. Um, and there are some advantages to that in terms of making sure that it, it almost avoids um, duplication of effort. It means that everybody is working to the same strategy and they're aware of what each other are doing. And it does allow for more intersectionality. Let's say if you've got a lesbian woman who can then feel represented within the, the women's network and also the LGBT network. Mm. Um, but the, but you do have to be quite careful because, the, of course, the disadvantages are that perhaps women don't have as much opportunity to share openly around lived experiences, etc. And also some strands might take priority um, over gender yeah. and, and yeah. leave them silenced. But what I would if you are going to move to having one network, then I would very much say that you have to ensure that you still have those separate pillars because simply get, getting rid of all of your networks and simply having one group that is meant to represent everybody, I think is completely ineffective. Mm -hmm. um, and unless you're a very small employer, so let's say, I don't know, less than 50 people, whereby you just haven't got enough individuals who are enthusiastic and are willing to put the work in, then I would say that you should always see try and, and ensure that you've got separate safe spaces for people to talk about particular diversity issues and this you mentioned this intersectionality which really fascinates me because it's like you know how people choose to identify so we talk about you know a lesbian 
So I'm a lesbian. Uh, should I be in the LGBT group? Well, I mean, I know lots of lesbians who would say to me, I'm a woman before I'm a lesbian. So I want a woman's network. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, so it's like, and you know, unlike a black woman, for instance, you know, I'm, I'm female and I'm black. So I'd like to have a black woman's network because I, you know, I feel like sometimes when I go to these networks, there are white women. Yes. Yeah. And we do, we've, we have heard that a lot, um, that some, you know, women's network can be very predominantly white. They can often be predominantly quite senior, quite privileged women who are talking in them. So there could be issues around voices not being heard, black women, you know, brown women feeling unrepresented, yeah. younger women feeling unrepresented. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that allowing people to as you say, to identify with what they feel the most strongly is, is the best thing to do. And then if you are a sufficiently large employer, having a black women's network is amazing, yeah. you know, and it might be a subgroup of other another network. So we've got a, a working families network within Pins and Masons. And we also have a subset of that of working fathers, um, recognizing that the issues yeah. that they face are, are different to the issues yeah. that working mothers face, for example. Yeah, that's fab. That's fab. But as a big company, you yeah. know, you that you know you can do that and lead the way, can't you? And that and that's amazing. I've never heard of the father's network. So yeah. that and is and I think awesome. one other challenge that it kind of presents, you know, even with all the good intent of trying to, you know, even if you bring them all into one network but still, you know, allow them the spaces to have the conversations about the lived experiences they want to have. I think what gets overlooked a little bit in some of these situations is then, you know, the, the requirement for the resources to do that. And the, when I say resources, I'm talking about, you know, the, the time and energy and who the yeah. people are who have to run these things, because quite often, and I'm speaking on behalf of all of these groups now, not mm. just the women's one, even though that's what brings us to the table. It's a, you know, it's a, it's an extracurricular activity. Mm. Yes. Often, isn't it? Alongside a very big day job for yeah. people. And, and we, we tell our clients, you cannot expect a successful network to be run off the side of somebody's desk. Yeah. So, for example, if you've got lawyers, like we are um, at Pins at Masons, uh, you know, then there needs to be an adjustment in somebody's targets, for example. You know, if you're expecting somebody to do something that's significant, then they need to have, that needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be rewarded. It needs to be um, noted in appraisals. It needs to be something that is bonused. All of these types of things so that people aren't expected to do this for the good of their health, basically. Yeah. And, and what we see is that companies who fail to, to make progress on diversity and inclusion, all aspects of diversity and inclusion, are those companies where people are being expected to do it off the side of their desk. Because how can you possibly prioritise that when your bonus, your salary, your you know your appraisal rating everything else focuses on your day job you know why therefore would you ever prioritize trying to get a women's network up off or a um you know an lgbt network or whatever else it is you're doing yeah. and you need the support to do that in terms of am i doing the right am i doing it the right way as well don't you you need the training on the governance yeah on, absolutely you yeah know, otherwise you're walking on eggshells aren't you <laughs> You are. And, and one of the things that we we run um, is governance. So we help um, we help companies set up network groups. You shouldn't be doing this by chance. There needs to be a strategy, all the rest of it. Funding. 
you need to be very clear at the outset how much funding but so funding in terms of actual money but then also as Jode says funding in terms of time the amount you know the resource that you're giving to those groups and the types Um, of things that each group want because they don't all need the same do they they want and need different things you know I guess I spent many many years doing um like going into businesses to do sessions for their it was a women's network there were women's networks but they were very skills-based development sessions. They're like, can you come and help us with our influencing skills? Can mm-hmm. you come and help us be a little bit more assertive? Can you help us develop our credibility mm-hmm. in these situations? Um, and actually what I find is that, um, you know, other groups may want different things mm-hmm. to, yeah. to help them with their development or how they advance or how they get represented. So it, actually it's really easy for it all to get diluted, yeah. isn't it? When it, when it's, when it's yeah. in one. So it's just a watch out, I think, isn't it? Is to remember it is. that it needs a bit more investment yeah. if it's going to all sit under one d yeah. kind of, kind of network. Mm. It, yeah, absolutely. And I would never personally, I would never encourage a business to have one diversity network. I just, I, I, you know, I know that that was the kind of the movement. I know it was quite popular. Oh. Some of our clients did move to that and have since moved away from it, or at least the the, the separate strands have become networks again in their own right. Yeah, we consider um, it. You can see yeah. why you could see yeah. why they might think it'd be a good yeah, a good, good move. Idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. one of the benefits is that actually, and one of the things that we found at, at Pins and Masons is actually that people want to be an ally yeah. and they find it too much to try and be an ally of every single network yeah. you know how can I be an LGBT ally and also a, a women's ally and also disability ally and a race and ethnicity ally so what we did at Pinsons is we kept all of our separate networks but we also created a new network called the Inclusion Allies Network and that was for people who didn't necessarily identify into any of the particular network groups, but but they wanted to be an ally for everybody. And and exactly. So and even if it's just things like being a member of that inclusion allies network means that you get invited to all the events. So it means that you're going to get invited to every single event that's put on. You don't need to be a member of all of those separate networks, but it means that you can always educate yourself and, and, and avail yourself of these interesting opportunities and this allyship. Um, and I think that's a really powerful thing for a, for an organisation yeah. to do is to allow allies. I'd be in that. I'd like to be in that. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> that sounds great. I want to be in it. <laughs> so, um, you know, if we just um, go back to the, you know, the bigger picture piece around. Obviously, we've been banging the gender parity drum for quite some time, um, and obviously, I, I think there's there's quite a, a number of views around on particularly how COVID has affected our progress on some of that. So what's your view on, you know, the progress around gender parity and how long you might think it's going to take for us to get there, <laughs> considering some of this? I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime, no, and I'm 45. Either. So I have to say that I, um, I'm i not wildly positive yeah. around gender parity. Um, I think it is changing. I think we were definitely set back by COVID, and, and mainly because of the caring aspects yeah. of, of life. Now... I talk a lot about the unpaid caring tariff. Um, I constantly tell my husband how much that I do and how little he does to the point where it was my daughter's eighth birthday yesterday and I asked him if he could name a single present that was wrapped in on the bed, which of course he couldn't. So I took great joy in pointing out that to him. But And I know that's a really flippant kind of example, but it's true. And during COVID, 
a lot of women ended up doing school, the school, the homeschooling as well as, or, you know, the, the caring yeah. as well as trying to work. And that had a huge impact on people. And I think we're still coming out the other side of that. Also, I think the cost of living crisis is really, really bad for gender equality, because what I have seen in my own networks and also in the employment advice I'm asked to give is women having to give up paid childcare because they cannot afford it. And they're trying to basically work and care. And it's impossible. So how do we change that? What do we need to do? Well, I mean, from from a government perspective, we need to properly fund childcare. Um, it's. I mean, I've, I've talked a lot about this. We sponsored the Working Families report, which was really horrendously depressing um, about the effect of um, the, the kind of defunding of childcare on, on women, particularly lower families and black women are very impacted by, by this. Um, so we need to fund better childcare. Um, we also need to encourage dads to step up and to take more responsibility. And the best way to do that is to fund time off for men. So um, at our firm, we have got equal um, family leave provisions for men and women. So, you know, the, the men can take, you know, full um, paternity leave, shared parental leave is obviously the right word for it. But it, as old people remember it being called paternity leave. Yeah. Um, so only by funding men yeah. to have time off yeah. will you ever create gender equality. And of course, we don't really see the benefit of this ourselves because we don't have many men and women who are in couples working for us, unfortunately. But what we do know is that we're allowing a woman in another workplace or another man. You know, I'm not saying obviously there's all yeah. sorts of different kinds of relationships, but we're allowing the, the person who maybe primarily would be the carer in ordinary circumstances to be able to go back to work because their partner, the male who is working for us, gets can have can have paid time off. So have properly paid leave to, yeah. to therefore be an equal an equal partnership. And do they take that leave, Kate? I mean, you're yes. offering it. Do they take it? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, how many of them are taking it? It's really growing massively. Yeah. And I think yeah. this is a generational thing. And I do have hope for my children's generation because I'm seeing younger men. So I'm talking about men in their 20s, their 30s, taking this up far more than older yeah. men of my generation. Um, so, and those men are going part time. They're they're coming back, flexible working. They are leaving on time. They are present. I would hope that they would know what gifts their children are having for their eighth birthday. They might not do. Well, they might but, ask some of them. <laughs> possibly. I mean, yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? Them, wouldn't wouldn't that be incredible? Yeah, yeah. It and, was um, it was funny on. yesterday. I was with um, um, a construction firm yesterday, and I had a team of six directors together. They were all men. Um, surprise, but, surprise. But they're a great crowd, actually. Um, I'm enjoying doing some work with them. But actually, the conversation did come up yesterday about how COVID shone a light on the fact that they had been working just so hard. They, called, they said they've been working so hard. They've been focused so much on work and that their mm. wife, and for all of them, it was their wife, you know, did all of the, the caretaking. But COVID actually open their eyes to how much they've missed Mm -hmm. and that now they were starting to think a bit more about Mm -hmm. how they might want a little bit more of that in their life so it's yeah that's a brilliant point because I do think that and that's probably the other thing that's going on for us at work is that men these a load of these men had their babies they you know with their wives or their girlfriends or their husbands or whoever in covid so they were at home 
and they saw how amazing it is and how magical it is and they don't want to come want back to into come the back. book in yeah, the same yeah, way no. well there's yeah. a, there's, a, there's actually yeah. quite a bit of peer pressure to yeah. some of them doing that you know yeah. so you've got a very mixed group of yeah. blokes in a construction company yeah. Um, you know, it's very typical, as you would expect at the moment, that they are a business that's working hard to sort mm-hmm. that out. However, you know, there's the, they do experience a bit of peer pressure to yeah. that of, oh, you know, what, do you want to go and do that for? And you're so, right under the thumb there, aren't you? Sorry about me. Oh, yeah, 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 you bad voice. Yeah, leave oh, your I... testicles in a jar by the front yeah, door. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. it was interesting because one of our clients said to us, do you think that that offices are becoming kind of man dens or man caves because so many women are choosing to work from home more often and therefore there's far more men in in the office now I mean I'm in the office majority of my time and and I would say that there's a real mixture of men and women here um but I can imagine that I can imagine that there are some workplaces that are becoming men caves man caves and the the risk of this to gender equality is all really driven around um, affinity bias and also proximity bias. So I will give the advantages to the person who's closest to me because I'm lazy. Yeah, um, yeah the, one I, I, not the one that sits next to me. They're, they're next to me. Yeah. And I I mean, yeah. I do it all the time personally, yeah. but also I now know that person a lot better. Yeah. So I like them more. So I am going to stick up for them and I am going to advocate for them and I'm going to sponsor them and I'm going to do all yeah. these other things yeah. that for my other team member who sits at home, yeah. I'm much less likely to do. Yeah, it's dangerous, isn't it? We've got to get back in the office. It is quite dangerous, really. Mm. Um, So there's also an issue about how we raise boys there, but that's probably another podcast altogether, (laughs) isn't it? Um, In terms of trying to support the men to change, it's like, you know, should we raise them differently from from day one? And we could talk all afternoon about that. So next question. What do you think that women want from work? And does this differ from what men want? Um, I think that women want a balance, basically. I think I think most women want a career mm-hmm. um, and women want to be independent. And I, you know, and I don't mean that in a kind of Beyonce way. I, I mean that women do genuinely want to be fulfilled and enjoy their career. You know, most of most of my generation grew up with working mums. You know, I'm, I'm my mid 40s, but, you know, most of my friends' mums worked. And nowadays I'd say, you know, I don't I don't really know anyone who doesn't work. I've, I know a few people, but I would say they were kind of the lucky few, as it were. Um, but then when you talk to most people, they, you know, they wouldn't want to be at home all the time. Yeah. So I do. I think women want to work. I think women want the balance. Um, and I think that's always been the, the case is that you are we're so aware of the pressure on our children. I've got, you know, teen and a younger one. You need to be there for them. You need to help them navigate this kind of scary world out there, which is what Girls Out Loud is all about. And we know that that, that those girls and boys need parents who are present. So I think think that what women want hasn't changed. I think what men want is changing. And I think that's that's where the crucial change will come for gender parity is that more men want that balance as we were just saying they've seen how good it is to be at home and to be present at bath time and bedtime and and be at sports day and that men are looking for a better balance okay okay so that leads on to our last question which is about this term good men which we you know we were debating earlier so you know how do we engage and harness the good men um so i don't think we should use the phrase good men because i think it 
therefore kind of suggests there is good men and there's bad men and of course all of us there's no good women and bad women either all of us are on a you know on a on the spectrum of good to bad um what we really mean i think and i think what you meant by that question is how do we encourage and teach men to be good allies and how do we encourage them to be good colleagues um and i think the way to do that is to educate and to empower them and to equip them basically um, I say educate, I don't mean that in a patronizing way, but a, a lot of men and women have no idea of the impact of the words that they use or the practices they use. So, you know, you can be sitting in a meeting with somebody who, you know, is really fun and really nice and great to get along with, but they will constantly kind of be chatting almost out the side of their mouth to and the man sat next to them making in-joke references or, you know, talking about golf or whatever else it is. And it has the purpose, sorry, it has the effect, probably not the purpose, but it has the effect of excluding others in the room, often women. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I think it's about, therefore, the education process of just helping people to recognise what they're doing and understand it, but also really proactively talking to men about what allyship looks like. Um, and not performative allyship. I don't mean men who go, oh, you know, I would cross the street if I was walking home behind a woman because she might feel unsafe with me standing behind her. Great. OK, fine. But that's not going to make any sort of difference to gender equality at work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in your experience, are men open to that? Then, when you talk about, you know, men need to be educated or empowered and um, the thought of talking to a man about empowering him is quite an interesting concept. Um, you know, so are they open to that or is this your language to, to us, but you would put it differently to them? I don't know if I would. Um, it's a really good question, Jane. I think I think that saying to men that we want to empower you to be allies is an encouraging thing. Um, empowerment does feel quite female, but I think the problem is that or the, one of the problems that we've probably dropped into as a society is we empower women and we tell men off or you know we we encourage we lift some up and we that there is a feeling that by lifting someone else up someone else is getting crushed down and I think that the whole thing around toxic masculinity and the rise of these kind of these and I'm not going to even dignify him by using his name yeah, but the rise of these not, influencers yeah, yeah. who are trying to encourage young men into thinking yeah. that there is no place for them in society yeah. it comes because there's this idea that to encourage and to uplift and empower one group necessarily means stamping and crushing another group and, and therefore I do, it? no it doesn't like if we raise everybody up then yeah. we are a better society for yeah, that absolutely. um so we need to get away from this idea of the seesaw basically of you know you go up I go down yeah. and I think talking to men um, and encouraging them to use their power to, to lift others up is, is a really powerful way to do that. And I don't think it's patronising. And I also think that it encourages men to feel that they're being addressed in the same way that they've heard women is being addressed for the last decade. Uh -huh. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect place yeah. to just put a peg in. Eh? Peg in. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, Kate, it's been really interesting yeah. talking to you, actually. But we always finish every episode kind of consolidating our conversation with um, obviously the majority of our listeners are women um, like the three of us and similar um, and they're, they're normally at home or on their commute to work thinking well what what can I do about this you know whether that some of their experiences are similar to the ones we've described whether they're a little bit different but if they're sitting there thinking 
actually, you know, I want to do something. I want to contribute to this whole piece around where gender now sits in uh, the DNI space for parity. What would be your recommendations to those people to, to say, what, what could they do? Yeah, I, I would say two words is get involved. Get involved. So there, there might be younger women who don't necessarily have power and those individuals should be getting involved in the female networks, in, in any of the networks that are available. They should be giving of their time. So the, the more senior you get, the less time you have. So, you yeah. know, if there is some side of the death stuff to be done, I would say to the women, get involved, become a big sister. Obviously, I'm always going to say that because I feel very passionately about Girls Out Loud. To the more senior women, I would say get involved, you know, get involved in a different way. Use your voice, use your power to to advocate for others. Encourage the women in your team to get involved. There's three people in my team and it's a small team and we've got three big sisters in it. And I'm in big trouble because productivity <laughs> for us is, you know, <laughs> it, it can be challenging. Mm -hmm. But I've used my power and my voice to encourage others to get involved um, and, and I think that it's it's not just about that, but also recognizing in ourselves, are we doing everything we can? Are we making, are we clear that we're not one of those women who climbs the ladder and then pulls it up after us? Because actually, do you know what? I had a really hard time climbing the ladder. So why should these younger women have it easier than me? Yeah. So I think getting involved and using whether it's time, resource, power, whatever you've got, mm -hmm. use that mm -hmm. in order to drive change. Amazing. Fantastic. Well, that's really yeah. powerful. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Find and your voice. And that. lo and behold, what does it bring us back to like every other episode? Sisterhood. <laughs> and Girls Out Loud. And Girls Out Loud. Yeah. Girls Out Loud and Sisterhood. Every single episode we do, it's like, you know, as women, we need to support each other. You know, we need to call it out. We need to get involved. We need to find our voice. We need to use our voice. You know, always, it's always the same solution always whatever we're talking about yeah. maybe in a different context yeah. but yeah always in there yeah, always yeah. always in the same so kate thank you so much uh, it's pleasure it was a delight having you having you on the podcast and um thank you for your time and your wisdom and as usual you're fascinating to talk to you know there's so much about your subject so um you were the one person we wanted to come on to talk about this so thank you so much oh thanks very much for having me pleasure right and we will uh, see you all next episode yeah, absolutely until then Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Jane and Jodes on One. Until next time, remember, sisterhood matters. Together, we are bold, brave, fierce and unstoppable. <laughs>